Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. How are you guys doing? Good to be here. I, I told the nine o'clock service that I was promised you're an amazing crowd to preach to. So don't disappoint me. Happy to be here, and I want to thank uh, Pastor Andy and Pastor Lisa for having me. It's so great to be here. Believe it or not, it's my first time preaching to the Pentecostals, so I'm pretty excited about it. I had to come all the way to Victoria to meet some Pentecostals, um, but I'm glad to be here. And I, I myself, I am Pentecostal in everything except uh, affiliation. I did try to sign up for the PAOC, but they wouldn't take me, so we'll, we'll talk about that later. No, that's not a true story. Um, no, I, I, I am Pentecostal by persuasion. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the necessity of being baptized in the Holy Spirit for holy living and for ministry. So uh, we're all family. I'm also uh, Pentecostal by tradition. My parents were uh, Anglican ministers uh, in Rwanda, where I'm from. And uh, if you know anything about African Anglicanism, it's basically Pentecostalism. So, so we're all family. Glad to be here today. Uh, my family, my wife Sarah and I, we've been married 10 years. We've got a one-and-a-half-year-old uh, little boy named Moses who runs our life. And she would be here today, except she's uh, very pregnant with our second-born uh, coming in April. So she sends her love, sends her greetings. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, and I'm happy uh, excited to preach to you today. Uh, I know it's the 100th year of Coastline Church which everybody should give yourself a round of applause right now. A hundred years sustaining and stewarding uh, this amazing church over a hundred years is a phenomenal thing. I told Pastor Andy after the first service, you guys must be Canada's best kept secret. Because I never heard of you guys till I I met uh, Pastor Andy and Lisa. So um, yeah, you know, I'm really happy to be here. A little bit about myself, um, pastor of Cities Church in, in Brandon, Manitoba. We recently launched our second campus in Winnipeg, is doing great. Uh, really excited for what God is doing there. And we're actually looking forward to planting our third, or beginning the process of planting our third campus this year by God's grace. And so we're all about church planting. And I know you are as well. You want to plant a life-giving church uh, in every community on the island, which I fully support. Um, a little bit about my history. Uh, as I mentioned, my, my parents are both ministers uh, in the Anglican church. I was born in Paris, France, as my Paris parents were doing a seminary training over there. And we lived there till I was about three years old. I'm the fourth out of five children. I was very upset when my little brother came along. Um, my parents named me Benjamin because he was the last born uh, to, to Jacob. And then, surprise, surprise, five years later, my little brother comes along. So they had to find another last born name to name him. And so they named him David. And I've never fully forgiven him for taking away my my birthright as a last born. Um, kind of, we kind of get along now. It's fine. But uh, we moved back to, to Rwanda when I was about three years old. And uh, as you may be aware, I know you guys are a, you're a missional church. You love to give to the nation. So you're probably aware of the 1994 genocide that took place in Rwanda. Um, about a million people were killed in a three-month period. Um, we lost 80% of my family members in that genocide, including my father, and so we became refugees. My mom, single mom with five kids, became a refugee. We bounced around a little bit. We were in Tanzania for a little while. And then we moved uh, to Nairobi, Kenya, and we were trying to, uh, to find our way um, out of Africa at the time. Now, in the mid-'90s, 
There's a lot of refugees trying to get to Africa. And since my parents, get out of Africa, I should say, and since my parents were um, uh, Anglican ministers and had uh, connections and relationships in Europe, our goal was actually to get to uh, England. And so we were trying to uh, get some visas and get us uh, uh, over to England. But, uh, you know, God always has a plan. And whenever something happens in your life that you uh, don't understand, that you can't explain, you have to know that it's not a surprise to Jesus it's not a surprise to God. I mean, we must always cling to that scripture, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those that love him. And so when you don't understand, you can cling to that, that God has a plan. Nothing catches God by surprise. And so my mom is trying to uh, get us over to, to England, but by God's grace, what happened was that um, there was this group of elderly ladies in an Anglican church, St. Matthew's Anglican Church in downtown Winnipeg, that had a refugee committee. And it was their job, it was their mission, their vision to find refugees who are in need and then bring them over to Canada. So through the Anglican channels, they heard about this single mom from Rwanda living in Nairobi uh, with her five kids trying to, trying to figure out what to do next. And so they sponsored us, and that's how we actually came to Canada. That's how God brought us here. So I'm very proud to be Canadian. I'm thankful to be Canadian. I'm grateful to live in Canada. And that's a really good place to say amen if you're Canadian. If you have a Canadian citizenship, when we say Canada, you should be grateful. You should be thankful. They are not perfect nations, but they are, they are good nations and, and not so good nations. And Canada is a good nation. And God's doing something great in our, in our nation. So uh, I believe in the Canadian church. I believe in it. I believe that God is planning and preparing to pour out his spirit on the Canadian church in a uniquely Canadian way. I believe in the Canadian church. I also believe in Canadian leaders. And to my knowledge, uh, Canada has never had a nationwide outpouring of the Spirit of God. But what I believe is that in local churches and denominations, in youth groups and across generations, there is faith for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is building, it's growing, the momentum is increasing. And I don't believe that based on statistics because if you look at the data concerning the Canadian church, it's not very encouraging. So that's not why I believe that we are uh, about to see a move of God. If you look, um, I, I don't believe it based on my context. I live in a city, as Pastor Andy mentioned, uh, Brandon, Manitoba, we have about 46 or 47,000 people in our city. Uh, it's kind of like a, an isolated uh, agricultural rural, rural prairie city, which I love to live in. But uh, I, you know, if you look at my context, it, it doesn't give you a lot of faith for revival. I also don't believe in revival because of what I see in the culture. As I'm sure you know, the culture currently conflicts with Christianity perhaps more than ever. But for the last five years, I haven't been able to shake this conviction that God is preparing to move upon our nation in a special way through his church. On February 26, 2018, believe it or not, exactly five years ago today, my life and the trajectory of my ministry was totally changed when, in a time of prayer, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and give me an assignment, an assignment to plant 100 churches in 100 cities across Canada. And he spoke to me very clearly. I never forget it. He spoke to me and said, listen, each one of those churches must have a mandate to reach 1,000 people. And so it's not just the planting of the churches. It's the planting of the churches for the purpose of making disciples. Now, at the time I heard those words, I, I would describe myself at that time as a semi-successful small-town pastor. Um, I was just happy that my church was finally growing. And if you've ever been in ministry, you know, sometimes it can be so hard to get things grow- going. And so when it actually begins to go and, and grow and people are giving, people are showing up, people are being saved, you know, th- th- that's where I was. I was just happy. 
when we moved to Brandon to plant City's Church, uh, we did it in a way that I would not recommend to anybody who wants to start a church. Listen, if you want to start a church, I'm going to tell you this story. It's not an example to follow. It's not a model. I'm just telling you what happened, and I would not want to do it again or wish it on anybody else. It's one reason why I love being part of the Association of Related Churches with Pastor Andy and Lisa is because we have a strategy. Uh, we have training. We have, we have ways to help people plant churches. But when we started, uh, my wife and I, we would only be married six months when we moved to Brandon. Uh, she was only 18 years old. We had no financial backing. We had no money saved up. We had no strategy, no training. We were, we were good old school Pentecostals. <laughs> Hear the call of God, go wherever God takes you, and believe for the best. Uh, and it worked out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a year after our launch, to my great surprise, our church was actually in a sustainable position. And I, I was relieved, you know, I was happy that it was actually working. And so I wasn't looking for a greater vision. I wasn't in a place where, like, I was so successful that I needed a better challenge. I, I was just happy that my church plant was actually working. So when this, when this assignment, when this vision uh, to plant 100 churches in 100 cities, each with a mandate of reaching 1,000 people, when it was deposited into my heart, I realized that God wasn't satisfied with my church plant. And that God wasn't satisfied with the sustainability of a single church in a single city. What I realized is that Jesus, the head of the church, is concerned about the condition of his church in this country. Lately at, at City's Church, what I've been preaching, we've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, and I've been emphasizing to our church that Jesus is the head of the church. He's, he, he's not a passive head, he's an active head. In the, in the letter to the, in the book of Revelation, what we see is that Jesus has a specific message for seven different churches. It's not a cookie-cutter message. He doesn't say the same thing to every church. He says something different to every church, which shows us that he's intimately acquainted with, with what happens in each of these individual churches. So he's not sitting in heaven just hoping things work out. He is intimately acquainted. He's active in every single church. He knows what's going on. He knows the correction they need. He knows the vision that needs to be planted in them. He knows the resources that they're praying for. Jesus is an, is an active head to his church. And so what I realized was that God, Jesus is concerned for his church, so concerned that he was willing to draft me, the most unlikely candidate. And you might feel here today that, like, that God can't use you, God wouldn't use you, God isn't asking to use you. But listen, the word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that not many of you are noble when you are called. Not many of you wise. And what, what I'd like to tell our church is that it's kind of like a backhanded compliment. Because on one hand, God is saying, listen, I chose you. So that's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is that God doesn't choose noble people. So if you're chosen, guess what that says about you? God doesn't choose wise people. God doesn't choose anybody that the world would choose. So if we're all here today, hey, great, God chose us. But it's pretty much because nobody else would. <laughs> so anyway, we're here. And so, you know, I really wasn't excited when the Holy Spirit spoke that uh, to me. Because, you know, I was at a place in my life where I just wanted God to anoint my thing. I wanted God to act at my pace. I wanted God to approve my plans. I was so focused on me and my ministry. But instead, I discovered that God is up to something in this country that this nation has never seen. And as sure as I'm convinced of, of anything, as sure as I'm convinced that we're here in Victoria, that you're sitting there and I'm standing here, as sure as, I, as sure as I'm convinced that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time and there is no competition, there is no discussion about it, as sure as I am sure of that reality, of that truth, I am sure that God, that we are on the edge of a tangible move of God in this country. 
And I believe that local churches in cities and towns all across the provinces will be ground zero for this move of God. What God is going to do, it's not going to be centered on a conference. It's not going to be the product of a parachurch ministry. It's not going to be focused on famous Christian celebrities. It's going to be local churches, local pastors, local congregations upon whom and through whom God is going to move for the salvation of souls, the making of disciples, and the renewal of communities and cities. Amen. So this is why we, we've got to plant churches. This is why I believe in church planting. This is, this is the impetus for the urgency and the spirit. It, it, it's, that, it's that the Holy Spirit is tilling the ground of our nation, preparing it for a move of God. And so, you know, I love being here today. I love the history of this church. It was born in revival. I love that. And I believe that, that the, just the way that the fruit of the revival that started here 100 years ago with Charles Price, the way that the fruit of that was that local people. See, Charles Price, you know, foreign evangelist, comes here, preaches the gospel, leaves, but the people that God saved, they, they don't leave, they live here. And so they, they want to continue what they experienced. And the fruit of that revival is local churches. That's what I believe that God is going to do. That revival, outpouring, Holy Spirit, awakening, movement, whatever you want to call it. A move of God is going to happen in our nation. But the fruit of it is going to be the building up of the church and the planting of new churches. This morning I want to quickly share with you five characteristics of churches that win souls, make disciples, and renew their communities. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. These are going to be our verses today. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and curing all kinds of disease and every weakness and infirmity. It says that when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them. Why? Because they were bewildered. They were harassed and distressed and dejected and helpless. Would any of you say that this describes some of the people that you work with, that you spend time with, maybe some of your family members, maybe some of your friends? Would any of you say that this describes the condition of our world today? Bewildered, confused, can't believe what's going on, can't believe the era we're living in. We come out of, of a pandemic. Then we go to, go to war in the Ukraine. And all of a sudden you turn on the news. And, and there, there is record earthquakes in Syria and, and, and Turkey. And you just start to think to yourself, what is going on? Be wildered. Then he says they're harassed. They're distressed. They're dejected. They've given up hope. And then they're helpless. They don't even know where to turn. This is what Jesus is seeing when he looks at the crowds. And he says, finally that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, so he says to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to force out and thrust laborers into his harvest. From these powerful verses, I want to share with you five principles that our churches need, that five principles that I believe the move of God is going to bring to our churches to transform them into churches that reach people. Number one, we need churches that have an apostolic vision. We need churches that have an apostolic vision. Verse 35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and all the villages. 
He went about all the cities and all the villages. So, so what is an apostolic vision? An apostolic vision, a church with an apostolic vision, will have an urgency to reach urban areas as well as small towns. A church with an apostolic vision has an urgency to reach large population centers as well as rural communities. What we see in the ministry of Jesus exemplified in this verse was that he didn't just stay in one place and hope that people would come to him. He went through all the cities and all the villages. And the scripture never wastes a word. So when it says that he went about all the cities, it's all the cities. He didn't leave any out. You know, I don't, I don't like getting around a table and talking to believers or Christians or pastors and they say things like, X is a hard city. X is a hard town. This is a hard place to reach people. Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He did not distinguish between a hard place to reach and an easy place to reach. Because wherever people were, Jesus was going over there. He went about through all the cities and all the villages. And so it was the large population centers, the, the, the cities, and then it was the villages. And what we see in the ministry of the apostles after the Lord is ascended, is that they didn't, they didn't plant churches in one place, make a big headquarters, and hope that everybody comes to them. What we see in the ministry of the apostles is that they, just like Jesus, went about to all the cities and all the villages planting churches and reaching people. That's an apostolic vision. It's a vision to expand. Now also, an apostolic vision is an urgency to provide the same quality of ministry to big cities as to small towns. To provide the same quality of ministry to, to large places and to small places. Jesus did not provide different levels of ministry to cities versus villages. It doesn't say that Jesus went to the cities and then he healed the sick in the cities. He raised the dead in the cities. He cast out demons in the cities. But, but then when he went to the small towns, he just had a nice little potluck. When he went to the small towns, he just gathered a small group and hung out. No, no, no. He gave the same quality of ministry to large cities as well as to small towns. So as you're developing a vision to reach every community in your island, don't think that because the place is smaller, the town is smaller, that, 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 when, we're, that when we are contextualizing, that we are also depreciating the quality of ministry. We should not do that. We should bring the same quality of ministry. If you're going to send a pastor to a small town, it can't be the, it can't be the B player. It can't be the bench player that was sent into a small town. No, Jesus made sure that he provided the same quality of ministry. Listen, why do small towns and small places deserve the same quality of ministry? Because it's the same people. Everywhere you go, people are the same. They, are, they have the same value in the eyes of Jesus. We as a church, when we go to places where nobody else is going, where no church has been planted for years or decades, what we're saying is, you matter. What we're saying is Jesus loves you. And when we come there and provide the same quality of ministry with, with that apostolic vision, we're saying you matter enough, not just for us to come, but to come to you with the good news and good quality ministry. Now, when, when it comes to, to, to small cities, this can be a real challenge. I remember when we moved to Brandon, it's a small town, about 46,000 people. And I moved from Winnipeg, and my whole life I lived in bigger cities and, and had the privilege of being part of large um, exciting, uh, life-giving churches. And so when we moved to Brandon, uh, it, it was difficult to, to cast vision to the core team that we gathered on providing quality ministry. We, we did our, our church uh, services in, in, a, in a junior high school, 
And so we'd roll in there at 7 a.m., sometimes earlier, set up the stage every week, put up the truss every week, you know, uh, get the, the, the scissor lift going and put up the lights and, and get the smoke and, and building our own sets. Uh, we'd, we'd go into kids' ministry classrooms and put the carpet down and, and do all the things that we could to make sure it was a quality environment. And after a few month, months of this, I began to hear the murmurs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A murmur went through the crowd. A murmur rumbled through the crowd. The people were not happy. That this was too much work. Every single Sunday, we got to show up at 6.45, 7 a.m. and work hard. See, but by the time 9 o'clock rolled around, we were all sweaty. We came in our Sunday best. Now we're all sweating. And so they didn't want to do this hard work. So I had to, I had to tell them, listen, we provide quality ministry because that's what Jesus would do. And we provide quality ministry because that's what reaches unbelievers. Everything that we do towards the outside world, we are communicating to them their value and the value of whatever we're bringing them. So when it comes to to planting churches, to reaching people, listen, excellence is an evangelistic tool. Mark 7, 37, it says about Jesus that the crowd says of him, he has done all things well. See, when they went to a, a Jesus uh, ministry, uh, you know, crusade or, or whatever you want to call his, his, uh, the, the, the outdoor preaching that he did, when they went there, they expected that Jesus would preach the gospel because he's a rabbi, he's a preacher. And they expected that Jesus would heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons because that's what his reputation was. But when they went there, they didn't expect that he did all things well. So when you, people come to, to Coastline Church, they expect there to be a sermon. They expect there to be singing. They expect there to be, to be different things that people know happen in church. But when they come in here, like I came in today and, see, and saw the amazing ushers with a smile on their face, you're doing all things well. When I see what you've done with your building and making it an environment, a, welcome, a, a, a welcoming environment for guests, you're doing all things well. The outside world does not expect to come into your environment and see you doing all things well. But when we have a, a, a passion and a focus and a value for excellence and quality of ministry, and we take that everywhere we go. People will be drawn to the light of Jesus. Got to do all things well. Now, an apostolic vision is not dependent on earthly provision. No great move of God, no great church planting movement or network or whatever have you, none of it starts because people had the money, because they had the provision. It always starts with something that God puts in their heart. The great missionary Hudson Taylor Missionary China, he said this. This is before he goes to China. He says, I have a stronger desire than ever to go to China. He said, that land is ever in my thoughts. And this is what he said. This is what, this is what kept his mind on China. He said, think of it. 360 million souls without God or hope in the world. Do you want to know when you can be sure that God is about to move? It's when you begin to look at the communities around you that don't have life-giving churches and you can't stop thinking about it. And you start thinking, 20,000 souls without a hope or God in the world. 15,000 souls without a God or hope in the world. 80,000 souls that don't have a life-giving church anywhere near them. I can't abide that. I can't live like that. I can't do that. When we planted a, a Winnipeg campus, we didn't really have much of a strategy. Um, but my, my assistant pastor at the time, his name is Corey, he said to me one day, we're in the office, and he said, listen, Pastor Ben, I can't sleep. And I said, that's terrible. You should probably take some sleeping pills. And he said, listen, it's a spiritual thing. I can't sleep. So I said, why can't you sleep? He said, because God keeps waking me up at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., and I can't get Winnipeg off my mind. Now, I hadn't told him to go to Winnipeg. It wasn't a plan to send him to Winnipeg. But see, God was beginning to stir something inside of him for Winnipeg. 
And so the, the process began. We planted a church. It was great. You know, uh, first Sunday, they had over 200 people and 14 people raised their hand to give their lives to Jesus. Because put, God put that on his heart. God deposited something in him. And I'm praying that God does that for you as a church, that God puts something inside of you that you can't sit here anymore. You have to go. So we've got apostolic vision number two. We've got spiritual demonstration. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, he was curing all kinds of disease and every weakness and infirmity. He was curing all kinds of disease and every weakness and infirmity. I think it's time you regain the confidence as a church to tell the world, we have the cure for what ails you. If we believe the scripture, we believe the gospel, this is what we believe. We have the hope of the world. And so we have to, we have to stop shying away from bringing spiritual demonstration to people. One way or the other, we have to recover the faith of our forefathers from miracles and healing and deliverance. And if I've learned anything from the study of revivals and past moves of God, it's that God responds to hunger and hunger starts with need. We have to feel like we need God. We have to feel like we need the Holy Spirit. Once we get that, we have to feel like we need miracles. We have to feel like we need deliverance. We have to feel like what we're doing is not enough. We have to feel like we need the Spirit of God to come. And until we have that need, he's not going to come. But I pray in the name of Jesus, and I know he's doing this in this church and across our nation. People are starting to realize that just talking Talking about it isn't enough. The kingdom of God is not talk, but power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says. And so uh, our forefathers, they were needy, they were hungry, and God met them. We must hunger again for miracles. We must have faith to believe for them in our ordinary services, in our local churches, in our local pastors. This is why I want to put a life-giving church in every single city in Canada. This is why I'm going to do that, because I want to put people in every city who have a passion and a hunger for the Holy Spirit. So that when people who are, who are demon-possessed and are oppressed and can't sleep and have nightmares every single night, and they're enslaved to drugs, and they're enslaved to pornography, and they're enslaved to sin, and they can't see a single way out, and it's killing their marriages. It's ruining their relationships with their children. They can't work anymore. There's a place they can go where they can be free. They can be delivered. Church, this is the original Pentecostal message that we're coming with the power of God. We're not just talking about it. We're seeing it. We need spiritual demonstration. Number three, we need pastoral compassion. We need pastoral compassion. I want to emphasize that we need all five of these things. If you've got an apostolic vision, but we don't have spiritual demonstration. What we're going to do is we're going to go with nothing to show for it. If we've got apostolic vision and we've got spiritual demonstration, we're going to go and we're going to go in the power of God, but people won't feel like our hearts are for them. Sometimes that's been our, that's been our mistake. We want to go. We love revival. But people don't feel like our hearts are really for them. Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus it says that Jesus, when he saw the throngs, he saw the crowds, something happened to him when he saw them. He was moved with pity and sympathy for them. Moved. He was moved with pastoral compassion for those that were not yet of his flock. And this is a, this is a real challenge for us because it's one thing to have pastoral compassion for those you pastor. But Jesus had pastoral compassion for the sheep that were without a shepherd. He looked at the crowds, at the throngs, at the people that were not yet of his flock. And he said, those are my people. Those are the sheep that I am called to pass. So he had compassion, not just for the people in his world, not just for the people that were around him. He had people for, compassion for the people that were away from him. 
So pastoral compassion doesn't just care for the one. Pastoral compassion doesn't just care for those that are in the in crowd. Pastoral compassion is moved by the out crowd. And we have to begin to see the crowds. And so when you and I see the political division and the anger and the hate and the vitriol online, what we have to see is people behind that. We have to see the crowds behind that. When you and I see bewildered people, distressed people, uh, distressed people, dejected people, we, when we see confused people who don't know how to live, where to live, and where to find out how, the purpose of their life, we have to see the crowds. When we are alarmed by the growing immorality in the world, we cannot be the people that point our fingers at that and call the darkness dark. we got to be the people that see the crowds behind the darkness. The enemy would love for you and I as believers to start seeing people as our enemy. But listen, we got to be like Jesus, pastoral compassion. Oh, God is good. The great missionary, William Carey, missionary to India, his group had a group, a, a a list of 14 core values that all the missionaries covenanted to keep. At the very top of that list, number one on the list, was that they were going to covenant together to set an infinite value on the souls of men. An infinite value on the souls of men. What that meant for them is that there is nothing they would not do to save a soul. Because the worth of a soul is infinite. And William Carey is now known as the father of modern India for his missionary work there. But what many people don't know is that when he arrived in India, he did not see a single convert for eight years. It took him eight years to see one person say, I believe in this Jesus. Now, you might think that he was discouraged when after eight years, one person was saved. But this is what he said. He said, he may be one person, but I see a whole continent behind him. That's apostolic vision. That's pastoral compassion. That's spiritual demonstration. Number four, well, we need apostolic vision, spiritual demonstration. We need pastoral compassion. Number four, we need prophetic perception. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus sees all the crowds, but then now he wants to speak to his, to his disciples. He says, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I know you know that verse. I know you know that verse. But I think we need to know it afresh. The harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. What is prophetic perception? Prophetic perception sees potential where others see problems. Prophetic perception sees opportunity when others get overwhelmed. Prophetic perception never sees lack of opportunity. It only sees lack of opportunity takers. When I'm uh, talking to our church and I'll... I talk to our, to our business guys, our guys in the marketplace, and I'll say, yeah, we're going to plant 100 churches. We're going to plant them across Canada. We've got this next church plant, this next church plant. And, and sometimes the guys will say to me, they'll look at me like, that's, that's crazy. How can you possibly do that? But you know what? They never think that about the next McDonald's franchise. Right. Have you ever noticed that? If, you, if your friend were to tell you, yeah, I'm going to put a McDonald's franchise, you know, in this city, in this community, nobody would say, we have enough McDonald's. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say, you're going to take the risk of putting a McDonald's or Tim Hortons in our corner. Are you crazy? Nobody would say that because we believe in that. Somehow we believe that's going to work. How can we not have the same faith at least for the church? Every time somebody wants to plant a church, we got enough churches. Every time someone's, are you sure you want to throw your life away planting a church? 
We gotta have prophetic perception. See, they believe that the money is out there to sustain their businesses. Do we believe that the harvest is out there to sustain our churches? Prophetic perception. The harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. Prophetic perception never sees a lack of opportunity, only a lack of opportunity takers. Last but not least, we need prayerful conviction. Prayerful conviction. Matthew 9, 38. It says, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to force out and thrust laborers into his harvest. So the biblical prescription for the lack of workers is prayer. The biblical prescription for the lack of workers is prayer. And if there's one thing we should be praying for, it is for laborers, for workers. I shared with the first service this morning that uh, this thing about the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers, a few, this really came home to me a few months ago. My accountant in Brandon, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good man. He's been my accountant for a decade. He's, you know, he's served me well. He's not a believer. He knows I'm a Christian. He knows I'm a pastor. He follows our church on Facebook and things like that. But he's not a believer. And uh, he lives a godless lifestyle. He lives a totally non-Christian, uh, immoral lifestyle. Not a lifestyle that any of us here we, we would approve of, uh, if we're believers, that is. But he's a good guy. And so a few months ago, I, w- I was in his office, and he was talking to me about our church, and I was sharing with him the, the latest things going on. And he says this to me. For the first time in 10 years, he says this to me. He says, did you know my, my grandmother took me to church? He says, I grew up in church. And the reason why the conversation came up was because there's a church in our city um, that had folded, and they've got a beautiful sanctuary. It's just 1,000 people. It's a huge church, um, beautiful basement, beautiful uh, building, but they just couldn't keep it going. Nobody was going to church, and they sold it to a Hindu temple. And so my accountant, Scott, was talking to me about this. He says, I used to go to that church. My grandma took me there when I was a kid. And so we're having this discussion, and it was a good talk, and I left his office, and I got in my car, and uh, does Jesus ever ask you a question, and then you answer it in a very stupid way? Has that ever happened to you? Just me? Can anybody raise your hand if you ever said anything stupid to God? Just me? Okay, me, a couple people. All right, all right. Well, now I'm not sure if I should tell you what happened, because I don't, I don't feel comfortable. You guys are not empathizing with me here. <laughs> So I got in my car, and, and, and the Holy Spirit says to me, do you believe I can save his soul? To my great shame, I have to say that my answer was, no, I don't believe you can. You know, when I heard myself say that, I realized how low my prophetic perception had gotten. See, I was looking at him, and I was thinking about all the obstacles I would have to climb over to help him understand the gospel. I was looking at him and I was thinking about all the obstacles he would have to climb over in order to live his life for Jesus. My prophetic perception had gotten low. And I realized that this was a big problem. So here's what I did. I I took my phone out and I opened my reminders app and I put it in my phone, pray for Scott. And every single day at 1 p.m. since that day, my phone goes off at 1 p.m. and says, pray for Scott. And when that happens, I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, where I, sometimes I do it on the treadmill. I'm, I'm at the gym, 1 p.m., thing pops up, and, I, and I, I pause whatever I'm listening to, and I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Scott right now. I pray that you pull him out of the kingdom of darkness, and you bring him into the kingdom of light. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that whatever uh, the, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of his mind, I pray in the name of Jesus that, that, you, that you take off the blinders, that you show him the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you take his life, and you make him a trophy of the grace 
of God. I pray that he would see his sin. I pray that he would see how good you are. I pray that he would see the good news of the gospel. And I pray for him. And ever since I've been doing that, my prophetic perception has been going up. And now everybody I'm seeing, I'm seeing them as a potential harvest for the kingdom of God. We need prayerful conviction. The Bible never calls us to pray for a harvest. Have you ever prayed for souls? Anybody here? Pray for souls? Scripture never calls us to pray for souls. I, I love the Bible. It's constantly shaking up my theology. You think I know it by now. I love the verse where Paul says, there is a great and effectual door open for me. Do you know what his next, his next words are? And there are many adversaries. He doesn't see the enemy. He sees the opportunity. So the Bible never calls us to pray for a harvest. The apostles never prayed for a harvest. Their assumption was that the harvest was always plentiful. And what I want to say to you today is that wherever you go after we'll leave this church service, that everywhere you go, the harvest is plentiful. Maybe some of you are going home to a non-Christian family. The harvest is plentiful. Maybe some of you guys are going to work tomorrow morning into a, into a workplace where you are the only believer in that place. The harvest is plentiful. Maybe you, maybe you go to school in a classroom where even the things you're being taught are antithetical to the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. Maybe you're going to a community where nobody goes to church and nobody cares. And maybe everybody you know is antagonistic to the gospel. Listen, when you see that, you're not seeing a problem, you're seeing potential. When you see that, you're not seeing hostile enemies, you're seeing a harvest field that God has prepared for you. And what I'm praying in the name of Jesus is that what God would do for you is that he would increase your prophetic perception. And if you want to see our world change, here's the only thing Jesus asks us to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to force out to force out. He, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I don't have enough laborers. He said, laborers are there. They're just not working. So he's asking us to force them out and to thrust them into the harvest. You know, I'm, I'm so privileged to be here in the hundredth year of your church. I can't tell you how that thrills me, that I have a chance to speak to you here in the hundredth year of your church, to, to deposit something inside of you for the next hundred years. I want to ask that I um, that as I close my message today with prayer, that you stand up with me. I'm not going to have a chance to talk to you again probably this year. For, uh, and so I want to pray with you right now. I want us to pray together that the Holy Spirit would, would deposit into our hearts that apostolic vision for the island, that apostolic vision for the coast. Come on, if you're with me in this place, and I, I, I know it's maybe it's a, little bit, it's a little bit weird for some of you, especially if you're new today, but, but we're in a Pentecostal church, which means we, do, we, we believe in Pentecost. We believe in, in the prayer language. Anybody with me today? We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in that. And there was this thing we used to do a long time ago where we'd have something called prayer meetings. Anybody remember prayer meetings? I used to get in prayer meetings. We used to pray in the Spirit, asking God to do something. And the scripture says that when you pray in the spirit, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith. Did you know that? Jude 20. When you pray in the spirit, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith. Why do you pray in the spirit? Because you're building yourself up in faith. So that whatever you pray in English doesn't come from your limited mind. It comes from the unlimited spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, when you're praying, you're building yourself up. And, and the, the word used there, to build, that means, means to build a house. So why you need to pray in tongues privately every day? Now, I'm not telling you to go on the street corner and pray in tongues. Paul says, nobody's going to understand you. You're going to look crazy. Don't do that. But in your car, on your way to work, maybe before you leave the house, maybe after the kids go to sleep, wherever it is, 
And you got some time. Listen, church, you got to pray in the spirit. You got to pray in the heavenly language. What to do? You're building yourself up. Some of you, some of you got kids that you need God to reach, and, and, and your, your relationship with them is strained, and there is tension, and you don't know what to say before your next conversation. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit. Some of you have been heartbroken for your workplaces because nobody there believes in Jesus, and you know they're going to hell, and it breaks your heart every day, but it seems like nothing you say is getting to them. Next time before you go to work, pray in your most holy faith. Some of you are going to turn off the podcast, turn off the music, and make time to pray in your most holy faith. So just for 30 seconds in this place, can I spend a call to pray in the Spirit? Can we do that? I'm looking at 30 seconds. On the count of three, I want you to pray in the Spirit for 30 seconds. One, two, three. Come on, let's pray in the Spirit, church. If you don't have it, if you don't speak in tongues, no problem. Pray in English. Pray whatever God's Spirit puts on you. Pray in English. Some of you need to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to pray for the first time to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to say, God, I don't know what speaking in tongues is. I don't know what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. But here's what I do know. I know the harvest is plentiful and I don't have what it takes to reach the people around me. Here's what I do know. I know that I want to see life-giving churches planted in every community and I don't know what you want me to do about that. Here's what I do know. That I've lost my pastoral compassion and now I look at people as enemies instead of opportunities. And here's what I need. I need you to put your Spirit upon me. Come on. If you pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit. If you don't, ask for the Holy Spirit to baptize you in His power today to give you power for holy living and effective ministry in whatever field He's called you in. Come on church, help me pray. Thank you Lord. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we see your word. We see your word and we see our weakness. We see the need in our community. We see the need in the cities and villages and the island. We see the need. So we pray that you open up our prophetic perception this, this morning. Now, as we leave this place, every single person is a potential soul for the kingdom of God. Father, we pray as you send us out into our workplaces, our communities. Lord, we pray as you begin a fresh wave of the Spirit of God for the next hundred years of Coastline Church. That you would fill us afresh in the name of Jesus. Coastline family, it's been a privilege to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for having me.